I see everybody's excited to run out of the building when I start preaching. <laughs> it's not a good sign. <laughs> but it, it is a tremendous privilege to be here today and to share the Word of God with you. Um, I've got my wife Azalea with me. Maybe if she can just stand so you can see I do have a wife. I'm not imagining it. <laughs> and, and we are from Worcester. Um, but we just live there. We, we've had the privilege this last year since we've partnered with Josh Jen last October. We've been on the road almost every Sunday preaching at a different congregation, getting to know new people, and it's been um, an awesome, awesome uh, time. So just say a little bit about myself. Um, got saved at the age of seven, and uh, so I'm, I'm saved 50 years this year. The, the 14th of June, I was saved 50 years. And I mean, I wouldn't normally say that in public, but uh, it's amazing. And then at the age of 13, um, somewhere between five, uh, 7 and 13, I asked my dad, I wanted to be baptized. And he said to me, when you can explain baptism to other people, then we will baptize you. So I studied and I asked questions and at the age of 13 I actually preached in the youth and taught on baptism. And then my dad said, okay, you're ready to be baptized. And after that, since that day, um, baptized in the middle of winter in June again, um, one Wednesday evening, got baptized in a very, very cold baptismal pool. And uh, since that day, I uh, started going with my dad to go to different services all across the Western Cape. And the first Sunday, he said to me, I want you to open the meeting for me in, in prayer. The next Sunday, he said to me, I want you to uh, open the meeting in prayer, but also announce the two hymns that we're gonna, we used to sing out of the little red hymn books. Um, announce the two hymns. And then the next week, he said to me, Here's the hymns, open in prayer, and read a scripture. And the fourth time he said, now, open in prayer, hymn, and then you preach. And uh, I used to open the meeting for my dad and preach the first half of the service until I was 16. And then my dad got throat cancer. And one evening in a meeting without warning, he got up and said, uh, I'm going to open the meeting, my son's going to preach. And since that day, from age 16 till 18 when he passed away, he opened every sermon, every, message, every meeting that I preached at. And it was the most amazing, amazing privilege to have a dad that transitioned me into preaching like that. And my mom was always praying with us. Um, so my dad didn't leave me, in terms of inheritance, any money. But he left me something very valuable, a love for the Word of God. And dads, if you can do that for your children, you have done well. So today I've got a pretty heavy word. But this stuff needs to be preached, eh? We can't just preach the easy stuff. So I'm going to speak on the danger of being discontent. The danger of not being happy with what you have or what you have been given. And for that, we're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 17. 
Now, I'm not sure if this is a portion of scripture that you normally quote after breakfast or... Um, but, but from what, what I heard of Sunningdale AM, most probably that's what you guys do. Uh, so I'm just going to read a, a small portion and then I'll explain the rest. And it, it's a parable of two eagles and a vine. And we're going to take that and just apply it. And, and if you allow me, I'll take the freedom of just sharing, sharing the, the prophetic word and warnings that God has laid on my heart. Um, so let's read verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, and, and I want to say that this is actually exactly what happened to me. As I prepared, I felt the word of the Lord come to me, specifically for this morning. So you'll do well if, don't listen to me. Listen to what God is saying to you. Because I believe that the word, is, word of the Lord is coming to us this morning very personally, corporately, but also very personally. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Say thus, says the Lord, a great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage, plumage and many colors, come, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of the young twigs and carried it into the land of trade and set it in the city of merchants. Then he took the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. And he placed it beside abundant waters, and he set, a, set it like a willow twig, and it sprouted out and became, like, uh, became a low-spreading vine, and its branches turned toward him, and its roots remained where it stood. So it became a vine and produced branches and put, it bow, put out boughs. And there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage, and behold, the vine bent its roots towards him. And shot it forth its branches towards him from the bed where it was planted, that he might water it. And it had been planted on good soil by abundant waters, that it might produce branches and bear fruit and become a noble vine. Now I'm sure by now I know exactly what's going on. I mean, I, I just sense how you guys have been interpreting what I've been reading. And it's like, oh, okay, fine, I, we, we get the picture. And if, if you get the picture, you'll actually go, aha, God is speaking to me this morning. So we're going to delve into that little portion of scripture because I believe that as, as you find your aha moment in it, God is actually going to change something in your heart. So it starts off with saying, propound a riddle and speak a parable. And that is the absolute um, important thing in this whole, in, it's the secret of unlocking this whole portion of scripture. Because a, a riddle actually, in a sense, conceals the message. Right? A riddle is there to make you think on what is it actually saying. Whereas a parable shines light on the issue. So on the one hand, God is shining light on the issue, but he's just leaving enough there so that you can think about it and find out for yourself what is God trying to say to you. So God is saying, propound a riddle and speak a parable. 
And I want, I would love for us to, in this moment, as we sit here, constant, constantly think about the danger of discontentment, because this is what this, is, this message is about. So whatever you listen to, please listen to that through the filter of, am I discontent? Am I, am I actually unhappy with my circumstances, and why is that? Because it's easy to convince yourself that you've got a good reason to be unhappy in your marriage. Once you've convinced yourself, you find all the reasons to be unhappy. It's easy to convince yourself that you are unhappy in your work, in your workplace, in the job that you've got. And sometimes we don't look at what we have. We look at what we don't have. And it's actually called greed. It's actually called discontentment. I want to tell you, if you know what's out there, if you've counseled marriages the way myself and my wife has, you'll do well in staying in your marriage. It's easy to find a reason to leave. And that's one of the things that God has highlighted to me, that I'll be speaking today to somebody who's discontent in their marriage. I'll be speaking to somebody who's not happy in his workplace. And I'll also be speaking to somebody who's not happy in the church where God has placed him. So you don't have to put up your hand now, but allow God, by his Holy Spirit, to minister to you. So let's just get something straight. The first eagle, that's Nebuchadnezzar. The first eagle, the one who comes in and causes all the ructions and breaks off the top twig of the tree in Lebanon. And Lebanon is the house of David. Right? That's, that's the, the royal family. So he comes in and he breaks off the top twig, which is a young twig, and it's um, uh, Jehoiakim. It's an 18-year-old king who's been king for three, three months, and he takes him captive. So that's the first two role players. And then what he does is, Nebuchadnezzar takes Zedekiah, the uncle of this young king, and he is the seed of the land that is spoken of, and he plants him as a vine. He plants him as a puppet king to rule over the nation. And I say, I call him a puppet king because he was really faithful to no one but himself. He would do anything and he would agree to anything else with other people, with other kings, just to have his way. He was never happy with his circumstances. But only if he waited on the Lord, if he just waited on the Lord, there would have been something great for him. Doors would have opened for him. But he was not happy in his circumstances, so he made covenants with people that he should never have been making covenants with. And I find that that is a problem in modern-day society where we used to say when I was young, my dad used to say, my yes is yes and my no is no. Nowadays we say, my no is no and my yes is maybe. And that's acceptable in society. We find that people make covenant in marriage and then when they don't feel like married, being married anymore, they up and leave. Now, if, if, if that's your circumstances, 
I'll try and be as gentle as possible. But, but the word of God really speaks very straight to that. And hopefully you will have your aha moment as we carry along. The second eagle, the second eagle is actually the king of Egypt. And so we have Nebuchadnezzar who is coming in and he's actually taking uh, these people captive, God's people captive, and he's placing a new king in charge, Zedekiah, and Zedekiah is looking towards the king of Egypt. He's the second eagle. And we know that Egypt has been a problem to God's people for a very long time. Yet every time God's people hit a difficult time in their lives, they want to go back to Egypt. When the food's not nice, I mean, God created a miracle by providing bread in the desert. I mean, my mom could make food. My mom was really a good cook. But to provide food for, some, for a million people in the desert, that's not easy. And God did that every day, fresh food. And yet, God's people, they, it wasn't good enough for them anymore. And they wanted the food of Egypt. So every time God's people got, found themselves in a difficult spot, there's this tendency to reach out to Egypt. And the question is, where do you reach out to when you're in a difficult spot? Where do you reach out to when things are not going well with you? Are you reaching out to God, to God's provision, or are you turning back to Egypt? If we speak about discontentment this morning, then I want to make the statement that discontentment will always take you back to Egypt. It always takes you back to captivity. And I believe that God wants to break that pattern in somebody's life today. It cannot continue like this. God wants to break the pattern and set you free. Because it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ sets us free, and then when things go tough, the tough go shopping, or no, they go back to Egypt. <laughs> so here we have two eagles. One, taking care of the vine. Plowing the ground, tilling the soil, planting this vine with great care. And there's another eagle, Egypt, that has done nothing for the vine. I want you to carefully, closely look at this comparison. There's an eagle providing for the vine. And then there's one that does nothing for the vine. There's an eagle that, that makes sure that the vine is planted well and provided for, nourished. And there's an eagle that does nothing for it. There's an eagle that loves what is done. And there's one that can't care, couldn't care less, and yet the vine pushes out its branches to the one that actually doesn't care about it. And then we wonder why the growth is stunted. Then we wonder why this is called... Now, I come from, from, I come from the wine area in, in Worcester and the Durings, and the guys in our, in our fellowship, in our church... They export grapes to Europe. So, so it's decent grapes. But their vineyards 
doesn't grow flat. It grows up to the point where you can walk underneath it. But this, the growth of this vine was stunted because it was not drawing from what it was provided with. It looked to the king of Egypt to provide for it. Now, God made a very clear, uh, gave a clear commandment that whoever becomes king of Israel should never look to Egypt for horses and soldiers. And if we read in, uh, if you had to read further down uh, this, this chapter, you find that the king Zedekiah sent people to Egypt to find horses and soldiers, wealth and power. And that's still the same problem. That's still the challenge that we're facing today in the modern-day believer's life. The desire for wealth and power will make them walk away from, from the provision that God has given. There's nothing wrong with being successful in business. There's nothing wrong in being promoted. But we need to understand God promotes. If it becomes an issue of I am doing everything I can to attain whatever I can, then it's because I want horses and soldiers. But I promise you, we serve a God that when we give Him our all, when we live with excellence, when we do everything we do to the best of our ability, He promotes. I used to be a businessman. I had five companies at one stage. I don't know why I was so stupid. But uh, because what happened was every problem I had, I had to pull out one hair. And I had many problems. If you, if you have 100 or 150 staff, you have 150 problems every day. Because they bring it to you. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. God gave me a business principle that I wish I learned earlier. Because I learned it a bit too late. And that was that blessing is better than profit. Your business could be profitable. But it doesn't mean that it's blessed. You can earn a lot of money. You can make a lot of money. But it's going nowhere. Because you're putting it in bags with holes in it. Blessing is far better than profit. And God wants us to get to a place where our promotion and our, the blessing of our company depends on Him. Not just on our skill. God wants us to, to, in our marriage, in our marriages, that the success of our marriage, I mean, it's easy for us. We, we successful. If this was the principle, we would have been very successful in a marriage if it depended on my cuteness. <laughs> then we would have been happily married ever after. But we have to work at our marriage because it does not depend on my cuteness. And I, I understand if you don't understand, why not? <laughs> but our marriages, the problem is we, 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 we don't fall in love often enough. We fall in lust and we marry the person with the perfect shape. And then when 
when the tire hits the tar and things become tough, we don't fall out of love. We actually come to the leaders and say, I've fallen out of love. No, no, you've fallen out of lust. Because you never loved from the start. God is saying that if you, if you bring him into your marriage, if you are satisfied with who God has joined you with in covenant, then there is no out clause. Covenant is a powerful thing, and we'll get to that in a minute. So we have this vine that, that is actually greedy. It turns itself away from the provision and goes to the, to the one that hasn't got any interest in it at all. It is drawn by nothingness. This vine is drawn to the king of Egypt and it's actually drawn to nothingness. I really want to put out that warning here this morning. That that thing that's causing you to think that you're not happy in your marriage. That thing that causes you to think that you're not happy in the business that you're at or in the church that you're at. That thing is actually nothing compared to what you have. And nothingness is drawing you away from God's provision in your life. Or God's plan for your life. Now, I don't know what they call it here in Cape Town. But they call that stupidity. So if you've got a different word, you can use it. To be drawn away from the purposes of God to nothingness. What's the sense in that? This vine is not just stupid. This vine is suicidal. Because it has disregarded the provision. I want to read this to you. Verse 9 says, Thus says the Lord, of, Lord God, Will it thrive? Will it thrive? It's actually, I hope you hear God's dissatisfaction in that question. It's like, duh. Are you doof? You're going to get pulled out. That first eagle is going to come and pull you out and you're going to wither and die. So you're actually suicidal. You're doing a stupid thing. You're cutting off the very life that I provided for you. And if you find yourself in that situation, then, then I've got this Hebrew word for you that you need to know and hear today. Duh. <laughs> I can't explain it. It's, it's not in Greek at all. It's just duh. And it's that that you have to respond to this morning. Are you going to remain duh? But here's the, moment, here's the crux of the story. Is that that Zedekiah broke covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. Why is that important? Because when we make a covenant, it's more than just don't worry, I'll do it. Covenant is a serious thing. And even in the Old Testament, when they made covenant, when two men made covenant with one another, there would be a fine print. And this is very interesting. 
there will be a fine print where one of the two or both would agree by which God would they make this covenant. If it was a totally heathen God, they would make, it will be written in, in that God's name that we make the covenant. Why? Because they would agree that if we break covenant, we will submit ourselves to the wrath of that God that we've agreed to. If we keep the covenant, we're submitting ourselves to the blessing of that God. And in Zedekiah and Nebuchadnezzar's case, they agreed to, si- to sign that covenant in the name of God, the creator of everything. So they, I mean, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's not a godly guy, is he? And he comes, but he's prepared more than Zedekiah to honor the covenant. And because they called or they brought the name of God into the covenant, I'm going to actually read it to you. It's over the page. Um, Verse 19, it says, Therefore, says the Lord God, as I live, surely it is my oath that he despised and my covenant that he broke. And the point is, because, because God has been invited into this agreement, when you break that covenant with the other person, you break covenant with God. And covenant, as I said over and over, has no out clause, and covenant does not have a feeling clause. So you cannot get out of covenant just because you don't like the covenant anymore. I normally say, if you're married to short and fat, you've got to love short and fat. This is not the spur. This is not the spur. You can't want what is on somebody else's plate. Ever been to a restaurant and you've ordered the court and blow? <laughs> and you get court and blow? And somebody else gets a plate and you just want to jump over to their table and eat their food? Their ribs or whatever it is. You see, when you've made covenant in marriage, you don't just jump out of it and have what somebody else has got. Because when you break covenant with your partner, you're breaking covenant with God. And I think as God's people, we need to start taking that far more serious. Because... We stand, I mean, it even says this. Let me read that scripture again to you. It says, verse 18, the one previous, it says, He despised the oath in breaking the covenant, and behold, he gave his hand. Isn't that what we do when we marry people? We say, turn to one another, give one another the right hand. And then they do the oath before God. And yet when we, when we break covenant, we ignore God. We don't ask him. We do our own thing. So I'm not sure what it is that you're battling through this morning. I'm not sure what it is that you were planning up till this point. Maybe nobody in your family, maybe your spouse doesn't know what you've been thinking. God is saying, don't be there. Don't be stupid. He's giving you another chance here today. 
covenant is about honesty, about integrity, about commitment. Covenant is not merely with another person, but it is with a God that has been included in that covenant. So, now you understand what the parable was. The parable was Nebuchadnezzar taking Joachim, putting Zedekiah there, and Zedekiah leaning towards the king of Egypt. That's the parable. So the parable to those people back then would have been very clear. They knew exactly that they were under that circumstance. The riddle is maybe a bit more uh, complicated to understand, but it's actually much easier to understand in a sense. The riddle part of that is, the part that was concealed in this whole story is, and before I want to make this statement, I want to say that it might offend some people. What I'm about to say might offend some Christians. But the riddle part of this is that Nebuchadnezzar coming in, taking the king, the young king, and replacing him with his uncle Zedekiah, and putting, taking the whole nation captive as such, Nebuchadnezzar was being used by God. That's the riddle part. They couldn't see in their situation that they've been so sinful in their actions that they've been going back continuously, sinning, desiring Egypt in their lives. It's been a pattern in the life of Israel where they would do well for God and then go back and want the other gods of Israel and of the people around them. Where they would do well for God and then go back and, and backslide as such. And they couldn't in their situation see that God was so fed up with their situation, with their sinfulness, that he was actually using Nebuchadnezzar to get their attention again. So before you blame the Nebuchadnezzar in your life, before you say, but look, look who's, who's in control of my life. Before you blame your situation, ask yourself, why does God have to go to such great measure to get your attention? Because you have not been paying attention. When God goes to these levels or to these extents, it's because we have not been paying attention to what he has been saying. God can use whoever he wants to use. God can use a donkey. Now that is the ESV version. You must read in the King James what he uses when he says he uses a donkey. I'd rather use the ESV. Okay? Because some of you might feel I'm sort of <laughs> a bit harsh with you. Guys, God can use whoever he wants to. And in that moment, in that moment, it's not to belittle us, but it's to get our attention. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that if we give him a chance, all he wants to do is bless us and love on us. We find ourselves in a place where we're not happy. We start doing stupid stuff because... Not because God stopped providing. Not because God stopped nurturing the vine. 
But because we have fleshly desires, we are ungrateful in our hearts. And I promise you, if, if you're going through a tough time and the Holy Spirit at the moment is tugging at your heart, the root of that is ungratefulness. The root of what you're battling with at the moment, and you might say to me, but I'm battling through a difficult business decision. It might look like that now, but the root of it is ungratefulness. Well, actually, can we use a little uh, more harsher word? The root of that is greed. Not being happy with the provision of God. But if you just had to wait a bit, before that vine in verse 7 reached out to, the, to Egypt, if we just called on God and said, God, please, my circumstances, God would say to him, wait till verse 22. You're only in verse 7 now. Wait, wait till verse 22. And I want to ask you, this is, this, I'm going to end with this. Maybe you're at a very frustrating part or point in your life. Maybe you do not know what next. Maybe you just want to walk out. And as I said, you might want to walk out of your marriage. You might want to walk out of the job that you're in. And you even might walk out of, the, out of the church that you're in. The problem is not God. I hate to quote Michael Jackson in the church. But the problem is the guy in the mirror. Man in the mirror, that's you. Problem is the guy in the mirror. It's not God. Because when, verse 22 is coming. And I want to prophesy this over you. I'm going to prophesy from verse 22 over you. If you're patient, because patience is the problem. We can't wait till God does it. We want to do it ourselves. So I want to prophesy over you from verse 22. If you wait on the Lord, if you don't try and make it happen for yourself, if you wait on the Lord in your situation, this is what God is saying. Thus says the Lord God, I will take a twig from, a sprig from the to to lofty top of, of the cedar and I will set it out. If you wait on God, He's got a purpose and a plan for you. That He will bring the new season. That He will take the top of the, of the tree and replant it. And I'll get into that in a moment. He says, I will break off from the topmost of, of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on the heights of the lofty mountains. Doesn't that sound to you like promotion? Doesn't that sound to you like the better, a better space to be in? But you have to wait on the Lord for that. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. And it will bear branches, produce fruit. Become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. God speaking about a flourishing season for you. God speaking about getting you into the purpose and the plans 
that He has for you since the beginning of the world. You're not a mistake. You might have got some, some, some stuff wrong in your life, but you're not a mistake and you're not a failure. But you need to turn to God. You need to wait on God. It says, And all the trees of the field shall know that I'm the Lord. I bring low the high tree. So if you're a high tree now, even if it's a muff tree, you've got a problem. Because God will bring you low. You might think that you are the next, next best thing to slice bread. If you don't repent of pride, God will bring you low. I will make the high tree low. I will dry up the green tree. I will take what looks like profit away because it's not blessing. And I make the dry tree flourish. And that's the prophetic word for you today. If you're feeling dry, if you're feeling burnt out, not knowing which way to turn, if you wait on the Lord, He says, I make the dry tree flourish. That is what God wants to do for you. And He says, He underlines it. And He says, I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it. Just one point. When God takes off the top twig of a tree, it has the original DNA of that tree. So it remains that tree. But the soft twigs at the top does not show the scars and the damage that the rest of the tree shows because of what it's been through in its lifespan. If you look at a tree, it might have a broken uh, branch. It might have something damaged. Some young man is scratched with a knife and said, I love so-and-so. Clarence loves Azalea. And that's a scar on that tree. It was well meant, but it's a scar on that tree. It's, it's damage done. And we all have scars on our trees that proves that we've been through life. God's saying, I'm going to take the top twig that has no baggage. No scars. It will still be you, but without the baggage of the past. That is what God wants to do for you today. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Lucas, and he will take it further. Thank you.